Blog Talk Radio. of Eastern Airlines. My name is Neil Holland, former retired captain with Eastern Airlines, and thank you for joining us for episode 666, the first from the Eastern Files show in 2019. We hope your 2018 was great, and your 2019 will be even greater. We think we have a great series lined up for you on the Eastern Files, you'll not want to miss a single show. In today's episode, we will be featuring the history of Eastern Airlines, starting with Pitcairn Aviation. But before we go to our first installment in 2019 from the Eastern Files, here's an Eastern Airlines commercial. son of PBG, that's Pittsburgh Plate Glass Industries founder, John Pitcairn Jr., founded Pitcairn Aircraft Company. The business started with the formation of Pitcairn Flying School and Passenger Service on the 2nd of November of 1924, which later became Eastern Airlines. In 1926, Pitcairn started Pitcairn Aircraft Company, initially to build aircraft for his growing airmail service. He purchased a field in Horsham Township, Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, and, bit, and built Pitcairn Field Number 2. The first aircraft at Pitcairn PA-1 Fleet Wing was built at the Bryn Athen Field in 1927. Pitcairn brought aboard a friend and designer from his apprenticeship days at Curtis Airplane and Motor Company, Agnew E. Larson. Larson left the Thomas Morse Aircraft Company to join Pitcairn in June of 1927. The state-of-the-art Wright Whirlwind 
wind-powered Pitcairn PA-5 mail wing was introduced for airmail service. The plane proved popular and was bought by 13 other companies. In 1928, Pitcairn purchased a Sierra C-8W and the American Manufacturing Rights from Juan de for his auto gyro designs for $300,000. In 1929, Pitcairn formed a separate patent holding company to build auto gyros, the Pitcairn Swerva Auto Gyro Company. Pitcairn to develop auto gyro was a banner headline announcing the new concern to promote uh, Cuerva craft commercially in the New York Times, April uh, of February 17th in 1929. It was later named the Auto Gyro Company of America. Kellett Auto Gyros competed with and eventually licensed production rights from Pitcairn Swerva Auto Gyro Company for 300000 And as a part of the licensing agreement, Pitcairn used Swerva's copyright variant of the name Auto Gyro capitalized and spelled with the letter I, as opposed to the currently more common spelling of autogyro, which was initially used to bypass his copyright. Now, with the demise of Florida Airways on the 31st of December, 1926, the airmail service from Atlanta to Miami ceased. But service from Atlanta to the north was imminent. After the airmail postage rate had been adjusted on February 1st, 1927, at $0.10 cents per ounce, CAM 19, Route 19, New York to Atlanta was awarded to Harold Pitcairn of Philadelphia. On the 15th of September of that year, he organized Pitcairn Aviation and as an aircraft manufacturer and air transport operator. His bid was $3 per pound of mail carried on the route. On the 23rd of November, he was awarded the dormant Atlanta-Miami route, now renumbered CAM 25. Pitcairn thus had one of the potentially most lucrative routes in the United States, one that would later be dubbed the Gravy Run. Harold saw no reason why, as an aircraft manufacturer, he should not provide his own aircraft rather than purchase from others, and so was in no hurry to start service. But William McCracken, Assistant Secretary of Commerce, ordered him, terms of the airmail contract, to start New York-Atlanta service no later than the 1st of March, 1928, and Atlanta-Miami service no later than 1st of September of that year. By mutual consent, consent and agreement, the inauguration took place on May 1st, 1928, not only because of airfield preparation, but also, more important, the installation of the lighted airway. For Pitcairn was to fly at night to provide the maximum advantage over railroad mail service. Letters posted in New York by the evening could be delivered to Florida the next morning with its operations base at Richmond, an initial fleet of eight Pitcairn mail wings, and the lighted airway. The airline was soon doing good business 
on the route. The airmail check for the month on June was $25,700 from the government. On the 1st of August 1928, the airmail rate was reduced to 5 cents per pound or per ounce. And on the 9th of September, business was so brisk that a shovel, shuttle service was introduced between New York and Philadelphia. The route was extended to Miami on December 1st, 1928, at the low rate of $1.46 per pound, and the fleet increased to 16 mail-wing aircraft. These aircraft, strictly mail carriers, with no uh, room for passengers, were quite popular, and Harold received orders from several of the other CAM operators, including Colonial, Texas Air Transport, and Clifford Ball. On March 1, 1929, a branch line was opened from Tampa to Daytona Beach via Orlando. Five days later, the shuttle service was extended to Baltimore and Washington. This was a true success story. Within a year of operations and in spite of an uncertain safety record, Pitcairn had become the fourth largest airmail carrier in the nation and the third largest in miles flown. But this was entirely with mail, and a threat was looming from Big Brother in the shape of Clement M. Keyes, the forceful entrepreneur who had rescued the Curtis Airplane Corporation from ruin and had created the North American Aviation Corporation with undisguised ambitions to fashion a nationwide airline network, using the largest airplanes to carry passengers as well as mail and encouraged to do so by the provisions of the Third Amendment in the Air Mail Act of 1925, known as the McNary uh, Waitress Act, after its congressional sponsors. Passed on April 29, 1930, this was a decisive measure providing for airmail payments according to the space provided and not by the weight carried. Keyes had persuaded the acceptance of a formula that assumed nine pounds of mail per cubic foot of space provided. Pitcairn was in a corner. Keyes made it clear that he intended to fly passenger aircraft, either his own Curtis's or four trimotors from New York to Miami with or without mail contract. Harold thereupon ordered three Fords on November 8, 1928. A plane, a game of bluff ensued with Keyes offering to buy out Pitcairn and the latter holding out for better, for a better offer. And on July 12, 1929, a deal was struck, $2,500,000, a truly handsome sum in those days. Harold concentrated on manufacturing, including autogyros, as he had required, acquired the North American rights from Juan Serra on the 14th of February 1928. Harold Pitcairn built an excellent aircraft specifically designed to carry mail. He was not the only manufacturer of such a plane, but he sold quite a few, 
and operated a substantial fleet himself. But as the record shows in the fleet list, the attrition rate was high. At the time, however, crashed airplanes did not receive the nationwide publicity that they do today. And it was much the case of, there goes another one. To be fair, the incidence of crashes was not always the fault of the airplane. Although Pitcairn himself was a staunch advocate of safety first, his pilots were still impregnated with the daredevil spirit and the uh, admirable, though often foolhardy, determination that the mail must go through. As with the experience of the post office, mail carriers flying across the Alleghenies, the Pitcairn pilots would often try to complete their missions when the weather conditions were risky. They took risks and often paid the price. Each pilot was assigned an aircraft that was his particular responsibility so that there was almost a pride of ownership feeling among the crew. Aside from keeping his assigned aircraft spick and span and well-maintained, Pitcairn pilots would install items for their own comfort, such as lights, heaters, or cushioned seats. One pilot fitted a, a siren, which he would switch on as he flew low over the community and causing no little concern. But this device fell silent after he tried it on the Marine base at Quantico. At, uh... Now, North American Aviation followed Pitcairn. The conglomerate North American Aviation that took over Pitcairn operated, operation was an impressive organization. Its driving force was Clement M. Keyes, who had rejuvenated an ailing company. The corporation had been founded on December 6, 1928, as an investment trust, and under Keyes' ambitious drive, it quickly became a holding company for many other enterprises, both in the United States and overseas. Keyes represented the controlling interest of the largest stockholder, the Curtis Wright Corporation. Six months before the Pitcairn deal, North American had purchased the Sperry Gyroscope Company, and shortly after Pitcairn, it acquired Berliner Joyce and the Ford Instrument Company. Through an important subsidiary, Intercontinent Aviation, the Keys interest had founded or sponsored by Partial Investment Airlines in Cuba, which was the Compania Nacional Cubana de Aviation, Curtis S.A., Peru, uh, and China Airways Federal. Having bought Pitcairn Airline Operation in July 12, 1929, North American moved the executive offices from Philadelphia to New York to the Sperry Building in Brooklyn. Strictly, Pitcairn became a wholly owned subsidiary of New York and Atlantic Seaboard Express. And on January 15, 1930, the name was changed to a more appropriate Eastern Air Transport. By this time, in addition to a myriad of other North American acquisitions, 
which included shareholders holdings in Douglas Aircraft and United Aircraft and Transport Corporation. It had substantial interest in Western Air Express, Transcontinental and Western Air, and General Manufacturing Corporation in Baltimore. Eastern was thus part of a nationwide airline system, which, at the end of 1930, accounted for upwards of a third of the air transport activity in the country. North American had to upgrade its fleet quickly if it was to carry passengers, which by 1930 had become essential to supplement the mail payments. As a temporary measure, therefore, a few passenger-carrying aircraft were acquired by rental or lease until the new Curtis Condor aircraft were delivered. This makeshift fleet consisted of a couple of Falker trimotors listed and a few Ford trimotors. Even though the airline business had grown explosively with the big business grasping control, the practical arrangements were still almost casual with crew and passengers alike able to stroll uh, on to the airfields and approach the aircraft, even with the engines and propellers turning. And uh, this was in the early days. And uh, that's what we'll we'll conclude our uh, first uh, part of the history of Eastern Airlines, starting with the very roots of uh, Eastern Airlines. Airlines Incorporated. So we hope you enjoyed uh, this part of the history. We'll play a commercial now, number two. Eastern than any other airline in the free world. If you've helped make us America's favorite way to fly, we thank you. If you haven't flown Eastern recently, give us a try. We'll show you we really do earn our wings every day. Well, that's our show for today, and we hope you enjoyed a little history of the greatest airline of all time, Eastern Airlines. We'll bring you more in the weeks to come. You know, keeping our Eastern family informed is of greatest importance to this radio show. Join us on Thursdays and every other Thursday when we broadcast the old-time radio show. Right now, the old-time radio show is playing music from the 50s. And along with the music, we're listening to of what was happening during those days. These records were recorded. Now, this coming Monday, the 4th of February, 
will be uh, the Super Bowl Monday uh, by the Eastern Radio Show, and we'll bring you a show that's going to be fun. Uh, We hope you will listen. Uh, You might even learn a little bit about the Super Bowl, but more than anything, we just want to bring you a fun show. And so if you have some great Super Bowl stories you'd like to share with us, uh, Monday night at 7 p.m. p.m. Eastern Standard Time, by all means, uh, just uh, call in. And that call-in number is area code 213-816-1611. That's 213-816-1611. And give us uh, your best uh, Super Bowl memory or story. The funnier, the better. We've got some great ones for you. And uh, sure enough, you won't miss the Super Bowl because we'll tell you what happened the day before, which, of course, Sunday is the Super Bowl. Do you have a story or a memory you'd like for us to share with our listeners? We'd certainly like to hear from you. The Eastern Radio Show would like to broadcast your show during one of our broadcasts, either by you sharing your memory live or by sending it to us, and we will broadcast your story on the air. You can send your request to host at EALradioshow.com. That's host at EALradioshow.com. Have a comment about our radio show? Uh, Also, just use that same email address, host at EALradioshow, and uh, tell us what you think about the show and what... uh, You'd like to hear on the show uh, any comments that you have about the radio show or, for that matter, about Eastern Airlines. So until then, we sign off as we do with each broadcast by saying goodbye for now, Eastern family. Thanks for listening. And this is Neil Holland, your producer and host for today's show. So long, Eastern family. We love you, Eastern.